Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, Scott. Hey, James. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Good, good. Well, you look nice and comfortable in that chair. I am nice and comfortable Taking a sip today. of your tea. Mm-hmm. Ready to discuss? What's our discussion? Out. Yeah. Um, I think today we just want to discuss um, how people might think about investing in stocks. Yeah. Well, I think it's easy because tell me why I shouldn't just own an S&P 500 index fund and call it good. Yeah. Let's, let's geek out on that for a little. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think the S&P 500 is probably the most common term people know when they hear about stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to define what the S&P 500 is for people listening? Yeah. So it, when you go to invest, you are investing in actual companies. So it's not just putting your money in some mysterious market thing and hoping it goes up in value. Mm-hmm. You want to own actual companies. So for example, you can buy stock, meaning buy ownership in companies like Amazon or Apple or Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when people ask, how's the market doing? They're not asking, how's Amazon doing or how's Starbucks doing? They're saying, right. how are all these companies as a whole doing? Mm-hmm. So what the S&P 500 is, is it's an index that measures the performance of 500 of the biggest companies here in America. Yeah. So in any given year, some of those companies are stock prices up, some of their stock prices are down. But on average, you get a general sense of how are companies doing as a whole. Absolutely. So, so you're watching the nightly news and, you know, whoever's the anchor of the nightly news or if anyone watches the nightly news anymore, you're listening to the PBS on the way home, KPBS around here, and they'll say that the S&P 500 did such and such today. Well, all they're saying is the 500 largest companies in the, in the United States performed like this together. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is an index, right? Right. So what is an index? An index is a group of companies that someone puts together to say like here's a here's a way to see how things are going so the S&P 500 is the 500 largest companies in the United States names that James already mentioned are going to be towards the top um, and then the 500th company I don't know off the top of my head I think it was Nordstrom last time I checked but this is like several months ago oh really yeah I just oh, randomly yeah. was curious cool. uh, nice yeah there you go yeah so Nordstrom was I down towards memorized. the 500th fair number um, 300 is nine. so in standard and poor's S&P creates that list one time a year they reconstitute the list which means they go look at what are the 500 largest now and then anyone who hold, who wants to invest against that index, licenses the ability to do that and they go and create either mutual funds or exchange traded funds mm-hmm. a mutual fund is a investment that you can buy one time a day an exchange traded fund is an investment that you can buy throughout the day so i can buy an s&p 500 etf or i can buy an s&p 500 mutual fund right and you do that because as an investor you can either go buy 500 of those companies on your own individually individually takes more time 
Or you could save a bunch of time and go buy a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund that does it for you. Right. And so when you want to go invest in the market, you might just you might think, oh, I just go buy the S and P five hundred. I'm done. Yeah, I'm diversified. I own more than a handful of companies. These are right. good companies. Why don't I just invest in that long term? Right. Uh, and the question is, you know, it, it, would I be okay if I did that? Sure, you'd be okay. Um, the question is, is, is there is could there potentially be a better way? Right. What do you think? Um, well, I want you to tell me, but my answer. I think is yes. Me too. So let's just think about, let's just continue with investing in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Standard & Poor's is one index company. Uh, Another is Russell. Let's talk about the Russell 3000. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the S&P 500, but now instead of 500 companies, we're looking at 3,000 companies in the United States. Mm-hmm. So we're not only investing in the really big companies, but we're investing in a lot of the really smaller Small companies ones, too. Small ones, medium-sized ones, right. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're investing more across the board. And um, what we find is that when you, when you go and invest over time, um, you don't necess- it's really hard to pick winners. It's like, um, I, I always think of it as like, you, you, if you think about the casinos in Vegas, um, if you want to walk in and play the games, the probabilities are not in your favor. Mm-hmm. Um, but if for a minute you step back and go like, how did they build this casino? Oh, they put the probabilities in their favor. Well, how did they do that? They just know how the game is played and then they let everyone play it. Well, that's really what indexing is. And if I buy the Russell 3000, well, now I'm going to let, uh, I'll figure out if the 3000th company is eventually going to become the number one company. I'm going to own it along the way. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Kind of a simple way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, so I fully agree. Why wouldn't I just own the S&P 500? I think there's a fairly recent example. Talk to me about maybe the 2000s. Why wouldn't I just put all my money in there and call it, call it good? Yeah, so um, we sometimes the, on, with the S&P, the 2000s are called the lost decade, um, which basically means that if you invested at the beginning of, of 2000, um, at the end of 2009, you actually had a, a slightly negative return from a... Uh, I think that was at not including dividends. I think it was actually, yeah. Um, was it including yeah, dividends? Yeah, including dividends. I don't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if, if okay, so so basically, you know, there there was a period of time when if you just invested in the stock market, we usually invest in the stock market because we believe companies are going to do well and do better for us over long periods of time. Well, there's a ten period swath of ten year swath of time when we invested, we came back ten years later, and we were worse off than we were when we started. Right. We would have been better off just putting our money in um, treasury bills, basically loaning money to the government, uh, and, and you would have been okay. Yeah. So there are periods of time where that can happen um, in asset classes. Yeah. And to me, investing is all about always having to say I'm sorry to myself. And what I mean by that is I want to invest broadly across the globe uh, and then I want to invest in a manner, we're really going to focus on equities today, but then you look at how much risk you want to take and you- What are equities? Stocks. Stocks. Companies. Thanks. Got thanks, it. thanks for the reminder that we try not to speak Latin on this show. Um, so investing in companies, we're going to talk about that today. Um, if I could choose to invest just in the S&P 500, there's actually a, a whole world I can go invest in. Looking back on, I think it was, I'm going to go, I'm going to go off of 2018 numbers because I haven't seen 2019 numbers off the top of my head recently, but the U.S. stock market, so that, that Russell 3000 uh, was 54% of the world stock market. Hmm. Now the S&P 500 is only going to be a little portion of 
isn't going to be the whole portion of that 54%, right? Mm -hmm. It's only going to be the the top portion of that, Mm -hmm. the 500 largest companies based on the size of the companies. Right. Well, then there's still, um, I think it was like 33%. My math might be slightly off here, but about 33% the rest of the developed world. So think about like the UK, Japan, you know, um, European countries, Mm -hmm. Pacific Rim, all those areas. And then the rest, um, about 12%, was what we call emerging markets. Mm-hmm. Things like China and India, um, areas like that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So there's lots of places we can go invest. Um, and the question is, should we just invest in the U.S.? Should we just invest in the U.S. in really big companies? Or should we go look globally? Right. Right. So why, So we, we looked at the S&P 500 as kind of being the example people typically give for investing in the U.S. Yep. And if we back this up historically, it's averaged about 10% per year in terms of its annualized performance. Yep. But then it went from 2000 to 2010, where it actually lost money in that decade. Yeah, and I think we could probably walk through a decade-by-decade assumption on that shortly here. Totally. Looking at that that way. And just just kind of using that as a balancing or kind of a platform for saying that's that's why you don't just invest in one type of asset class, not yep. just big U.S. companies or just not just U.S. small companies. But that's that's kind of one of the reasons, at least as the way I think about it, that you do try to diversify is because you go through long periods of time. So let's mm-hmm. now talk about what are some of those benefits? How do you diversify or spread your money out more so than just big U.S. companies? Yeah, let's talk about it really simplistically. So... Um if you took a do- so as far back as we can take the data back to like 1926, James, you have one dollar. You can go in a time machine, invest yeah. your one dollar, and you only invest in those large companies like the S and P 500 companies, and you just always keep investing in those. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the number in front of me to remember the exact thousands of number, but at the end of 2018, that one dollar turned into about seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Of that's a lot, right? That's a, a lot, really good lot return. That's your ten. That's your ten percent ish plus return, right? right. Um, if you'd taken that same dollar and you'd only invested in really small companies, companies that you never knew the name of, and you probably still don't know the name of, right? Um, that dollar was worth over twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a difference of a ten percent return or a thirteen percent return over a really long period of time. So you can see that there could be a choice in in where you want to go invest, and you perhaps want to invest in all of it, mm-hmm. but you have to ask yourself, how do I want to do that? Mm-hmm. Do I want to hold what's called the market cap? Do you, do you know, uh, you know, people will hear that and they'll go, what's a market cap? Market capitalization just means how big is the company? And most indexes are designed so that we invest most of our money in the biggest companies and the smallest amount in the smallest companies. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you can potentially do with investments is just simply imagine that that Russell 3000 is those 3,000 companies by market capitalization weight. And now imagine that you just say, like, remember those old ice cube trays? Do you ever have those when you were a kid? And mm-hmm. You fill them up with water. Still and you'd have to, And you'd have to, oh, you still have them? <laughs> awesome. But you still have, you'd have to tilt them to yep. even them out. Well, imagine that you have the weightings of the Russell 3000. Now you just ask, well, hold on a second. If I invest a little bit more in small companies over large ones in the long run, that might be beneficial for me. So maybe I'll just tilt my portfolio a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. You can tilt to all kinds of factors if you want. Um, that's just one that you can use. Great. And so the question is, looking at, at the data going backwards, like, you know, what what's the best way to do it? Yeah. Yeah. The key is to put probabilities in your favor. And and walk us through an example of what that would look like using some of this data. How do you approach this? Do you look at just say what's performed best over time or do you look at certain time periods? How do you go about doing that? 
Well, I don't want to geek out too detailed on this today, but whenever you look at something backward, you need to see if it's pervasive, pervasive, persistent, and robust Mm -hmm. to see whether or not it's something that's worth betting on in the future, Mm -hmm. right? But why don't we just think of it this way? Why don't we look at the concept of looking at just the S&P 500? Let's look at, we could invest in, um, let's call it a risk-free rate, which would just be loaning money to the U.S. government on a monthly basis. Or let's go invest um, globally around the world in a balanced way. Mm -hmm. And let's just see what wins each decade. Sure. Does that sound fair? Sounds fair. Okay. So the furthest back we can take, it's to 1970. Mm -hmm. What happens in the 70s? Who wins? So in the 70s, um, the world markets do really, really well. World markets meaning it's... World markets meaning that investing not just in the U.S., Mm -hmm. but investing all around the globe, Mm -hmm. that really helped you. Great. Okay. So so if we invested in the 70s and we did that, we would actually win compared to um, investing in the S&P 500. And we would also win compared to just loaning money to the government um, with one month month T-bills. And actually in the 70s, the T-bills would beat... Investing in the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. So first place, investing globally. Second place, T-bills. Third place, S&P 500. Which is kind of a, a surprising, I shouldn't say surprising because we know it happens, but that's not what you expect. When yeah. you invest in, in stocks, you're expecting them to outperform bonds, which are typically more conservative. But you're saying this entire decade, an investment in stocks underperformed an investment in short-term bonds. Yeah, it, it can happen. And that's something is like, the thing to remember is that whenever you go invest in companies, uh, invest in the markets, you're putting your money at risk. And when you put your money at risk, you can have periods of time where you don't earn outsized returns. Mm -hmm. It's quite normal. Yeah. Yeah. So 70s were not good to the S&P 500, but they were good if you were more diversified and you spread your money out to international companies or global companies as well. Right. So how about we go to the 80s? What happens in the 80s? Uh, 80s. Same thing happens. If you had a strategy that was invested more globally, uh-huh. you did a lot better okay. than if you had just owned the S&P 500. So global's first place again. First place again. What's second place this time? S&P 500, so big U.S. companies. S&P 500 beats investing in treasuries now. We're doing better than, than just investing in those bonds. treasuries. And now granted, in this decade, all of these actually do pretty well. Everything's, everything's, everything's up. Everything's up. But you again, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's not just about doing good. It's about how do we do the best that we possibly can do. And, yeah. and and not that we wanted to find best by what happened in any yet decade, but this type of more balanced, spread out, diversified approach was the best in this decade. Again, to me, it's all about probabilities. And and again, not having – it's saying I'm sorry to myself in a given period because I'm never going to have the highest winner, but I'm also never going to have the biggest loser. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in between, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, if you take a really diversified approach. <laughs> Okay, so then in the 90s, the U.S. stock market crushes it. S&P 500 wins. Technology's hot. Mm -hmm. Big U.S. companies are hot. That's reflected in the performance. Yep, people who might remember, like Pets.com was worth, you know, a gazillion dollars. Um, So tech tech stocks are taken off in the U.S. S&P 500 performs really, really well. Investing globally relatively speaking, comes in second place. You're not feeling as cool when you're at the barbecue talking about your your globally diversified portfolio. 
your friends investing in the S&P 500 are winning. You were winning for the 70s and 80s. That's old news. But now they Who have cares? cell phones and pagers. Yeah. And, and they're like making fun of you through, through like text, uh, you know, letting you know that you're losing. Uh, but both are outpacing investing in, in T-bills, right? Investing just in, in bond funds um, with uh, the U.S. government. Okay, so let's get to, to the 2000s. Um, what happens here? Who, who, who wins? S&P 500 stinks. Oh, S&P 500 stinks, yep. I'm going to start with a loser. Not only does it lose, but it loses money in this decade. Yeah, Just- we talked about before on a previous episode that it was the 2000s. It had a negative return. It was about negative 1%. Mm-hmm. So if you had invested in more balanced, and, and we don't mean balanced in the sense of some stocks, some bonds, but balanced in the sense of you're spreading your money out to other countries, not just the U.S. Right. So the global balance strategy won, or it was the best performer in that decade because yeah. you weren't too concentrated in just one type of asset class being the S&P 500, which underperformed. Um, so the global strategy won, bonds. So again, lending your money to the government in this case actually generated better return than investing in the 500 biggest companies in the S&P 500. And then at the bottom, as we just mentioned, was was those biggest 500 companies, losing 1% per year on average from 2000 to 2010. Yeah. So you were better off in 2000 um, just putting your money in CDs and walking away. Now, I say that as, a, as almost a joke, right? Because we never know I what the that. return is going to be, right? The reason that we invest for the long term is because in the long run, capitalism typically works. Mm-hmm. Here in the 2000s, and interestingly enough, you go back and look at the 90s, you had outsized returns, tech boom, mm-hmm. and then we had a bust where we had a recovery and we had negative returns. Right. Which if mean to the reversion is another thing we can geek out on another day, but it looked like it might have been happening here in the U.S. But uh, so globally, you won. Uh, U.S. as uh, treasuries were were second place, and then the S and P five hundred was third. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into the 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 twenty tens, and yeah. we only have data I think for this one through twenty eighteen, but um, it's going to stay the same because be the twenty yeah. twenty nineteen was an outsized year for the for the U.S. market as well. So. Yeah, and in this decade, U.S. stocks are the best. U.S. is the best. It's it's it, after losing one percent per year for ten years in a row. It was one of the top performers for this past decade. Yep. Uh, underneath that was the global strategy, where you invested outside of the U.S. and in companies uh, internationally. And then this past decade, short-term bonds did almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Interest rates fell to uh, next to zero percent rates, near zero percent rates, and they they did nothing. So one dollar and UST bills at the beginning of the decade would have been worth basically a dollar at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, we can see that uh, basically, let's through the you know the seventies, the world, the global investor wins. The eighties, the global investor wins. The nineties, the U.S. only investor wins. The two thousands, the global investor wins, and then this decade the U.S. investors winning. Right. So it's kind of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If we put it all together, what do we end up seeing? Uh, depending on the time period, period that you look at. But if you look back... Well, let's take the enough, 70s all the way through. 73. Then if you take no, that... Yeah, 70 all the way through. Uh, the global portfolio would have outperformed. Yeah. Pretty pretty significantly. And it, it significantly over time. Maybe only a couple percent per year or so, but that compounds and adds up a lot over time. 
Yeah. Um, underneath that, you have the S&P 500. So just staying in big U.S. companies. You did well, but you just didn't do as well as you could have done had you invested or spread out your money a little bit more. Right. And then underneath all three of those, as to be expected over the long term, is a much more conservative, secure investment in one-month government bonds. Yep. So again, to me, this always comes back to the concept of and here's the interesting thing for the, the listener at home. We use the S&P 500 because we're in the United States. But almost any country you go to, if, if you're in Japan, people want to overweight stocks in Japan. If you're in the United States, people want to overweight and invest more or just invest all in the United States. Right. If you're in the UK, people want to do the same thing. We actually call that homeward bias. And what we're doing here is we're just looking at, well, let's, if we remove that and we just go invest around the globe... It does that do better for us in the long run? And we see that it does. You know, it's so interesting. This is totally an aside, but I just saw a stat this past week, I think, where, yes, we have a homeward bias, but then even within the U.S., there are biases. You know, yes. So, for example, people in the Bay Area overwhelmingly weighted, overweight in tech stocks. Right, because it's people, what they know. It's what they know. Yeah. People in Texas or in the South, very overweight oil stocks. Energy. People Northeast, whether it's... Banking. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, totally. So it's, we, we invest in what we know. Yeah, and and there's a case. Yes, you want to understand what you're investing in, but you don't want to have that bias impact your de- decisions. Is what's going to grow your wealth the best over time? Yep. Or you can build a casino. That works. And don't worry about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, what's the major takeaway from this? Is is, is it should I not own the S and P five hundred? I think the major takeaway. I hope. I hope the major takeaway is that a truly globally diversified portfolio where you invest more than just large cap stocks, but you invest in large, mid, and small across the United States, international, and emerging markets, that as a component, uh, tie it in with risk. We'll geek out on that a different day. Bonds can be considered the ballast of a portfolio. So if you've ever been on a boat and it cuts through the water smoothly, it's because it has ballast tanks. Those ballast tanks fill the boat with water. Mm -hmm. It makes it have a smoother ride. Bonds do the same thing for your your portfolio. So um, I would hope the takeaway is invest broadly in diversified manner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Simple as that. Absolutely. People think, and we didn't really touch upon this at the beginning, but oh, just on the S&P 500 index, because active management doesn't work. You're not going to outperform through active management. And yes, that's true, but take it a step further. Own the index, but then own multiple types of indexes, indices. Yes. Domestic ones, international ones, big ones, small ones. So Mm -hmm. very good. Well, thank you for that journey through time, Scott. Thank you. All right. We'll see see you guys next next week. week. Thank you for listening to episode number 37 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe if you've not already done so. We release a new episode every single Wednesday morning. And by subscribing, you'll get a notification as those new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please let us know by leaving a five-star review. More reviews help more people to find our show, and we enjoy hearing what you all think. If you have a question that you want us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website. Again, that's realpersonalfinance.co, and there'll be a section where you can submit your own question for Scott and I to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.